Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's word and truth. The man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's the host of Stand Up For The Truth. Mike LeMay. Cutting through all the noise and fog of this world and pointing us to the eternal truth of God's Word. Hello, friends. Mike LeMay and David Fiorazzo. We welcome you to another edition of Stand Up for the Truth. I hope you had a great Fourth of July. Today is Friday, of course. We're going to get to as many of your comments and questions as we have uh, after we open in prayer. Father, we um, want your will to be done before we ask for blessings. Uh, Father, we need your discernment and we need your wisdom. And uh, we just thank you for your truth. We thank you that we know you. We thank you that we have the best message in the universe to share with people, the best news anyone could ever hear, although um, the news about sin and repentance might not be received at first as good news. But uh, uh, once people repent, Lord, it is ultimately incredible news that we can be in your presence forever and that we can be saved by believing in your son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we are still alive. You give us meaning and purpose every day because of your truth and because of what your son, Jesus, has done. And we thank you that you've chosen us to go and bear fruit that will last. And we ask that we would do that today, that we would bear some fruit for the kingdom. We ask that we would point people to Jesus and your inerrant, perfect word in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Hey, by the way, how was your 4th of July, David? It was good. What did you Restful. do? Anything exciting? Or? No. Nothing? Did you do the Mike LeMay basically sit in your pajamas all day in your lazy boy? We, oh, I won't go that far. <laughs> we uh, we have a little tradition, my wife and I. We watch uh, uh, one of only two musicals that are approved by me personally. Uh, 1776, it's a musical based on the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And I'm always intrigued by it, even though it's a musical, uh, because it really shows these flawed men trying to form a perfect union. And it's, it's interesting, the, the debate over slavery, the debates over states' rights and things. So uh, I always enjoy that in spite of the fact that it's a musical. Hmm. But I counted last night, there are 14, 15 songs. In the movie, that's about 13 too many. By the way, speaking of that debate over slavery and you know, this American flag thing and the Nike shoe deal that, you know, Co- Colin Kaepernick signed a contract with Nike, he, he complains they were going to come out with a, a 4th of July or a, or a, a flag base with American flag shoe on this, on the sneaker. And he complained they, they halted uh, production of it. The Betsy Ross, from my understanding, she was a, a, a not a Puritan, a Quaker. And she was against slavery. She, the Puritans, or the Quakers, I mean, were totally, uh, they were Christian, they were against slavery, and so he's boycotting the flag that she, you know, Betsy Ross is famous for that, the first mm-hmm. flag with the 13 colonies. I just find that to be either ignorant or deceptive on the part of the left, they, that they continue to bring up this thing about slavery in America. We're such a bad country. Well, you know what? Look, look at what we did. Look at, look at how far we've come. And, uh, it's just sad. It's just sad that people have to have the, the truth of history distorted by activists. Nancy and I last year spent some time in Cincinnati. We went to a brewer game, but before that we went to the Underground Railroad Museum in Cincinnati. I highly encourage people to go. It's a, it's a history of the underground movement trying to get slaves uh, mm. from the south to the north. And they did a great job. They they clearly pointed out the fact that we were guilty in this nation mm-hmm. of enslaving a race of people. <clears throat> Incredibly wrong, should have never happened. But it also showed how it, it's almost come to be an American thing with people like Kaepernick. Well, all Americans are racist, America's racist. This was a worldwide problem mm-hmm. uh, put together by the British Empire. Didn't start here. Yeah, and actually America... The percentage of slaves used in America was far less than most other nations. But, you know, I go back to this whole movie on 1776, David, and I saw it today. I actually heard on our news this morning uh, that uh, the city of San Francisco was spending $600,000 to paint over a mural of George Washington because he was a racist. Oh, my goodness. And our founding fathers, some of them were believers, some were deists, uh, some were 
who knows what. Some of them owned slaves, some did not. Some of them, like Jefferson, who owned slaves, committed to freeing them. And, and again, we, we have a checkered past as a nation, but I think our founding fathers tried to do the right thing. Uh, we're trying to get better as a nation as we go along. But uh, one thing about liberals, they do not believe in forgiveness and restoration. Mm-hmm. And they're wiping out our history yeah. by we, doing this. We should embrace that history, good and bad. We have mm-hmm. some ugly spots on our history. But Christianity has done more for the world and more for this nation. And as a result of the prosperity in this nation, and I might say uh, perhaps God's blessing for a season when we were founded, America has done more for the world than any other country. No comparison when it comes to the compassion, when it comes to feeding the poor, helping the, doing the things that the Bible teaches us to do. We have done so much missionary work, but aside from that, goodwill around the world yeah. and people are being taught at young ages that America is a bad country. And that's, it's horrible. And they erase, taking down statues, painting over murals, destroying the American flag and the national anthem, disrespecting that is just, it does, first of all, it does, I think, true history and a disservice, but the people, the veterans, people that have died protecting this country. What did we just celebrate yesterday? Our independence, our freedom. You know, when you try, when people try to equate liberalism with Christianity, I often tell them this. Look at today's liberals. Today's liberals, if, if you've ever committed a sin, if you've ever told a dirty joke to a woman, if you ever owned a slave, if you ever said a racist remark, you are, you're banished forever. You are guilty forever. That's liberalism. Let's look at Christianity. We were, some of you were those, but we've been forgiven by the grace of God. Yeah, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 6 where it lists that, uh, all these different sins, types of sinners, liars, thieves, homosexuals, and it goes on and on, adulterers. And it says, such were some of you. Paul's writing to a church. He's writing to the Corinthians. And he said, such were some of you. But then it says, you have been washed. Yeah. But you have been justified. You've been glorified by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you've got to take what you were, what repentance does, because of what Jesus has done for us. And now we're washed clean and Liberals have a hard time letting go of that past. They absolutely do. Hey, we'll get to your comments and questions. Just a disclaimer. Remember, David and I are imperfect men. We are sinners saved by the grace of God. And we're trying, we're imperfect men trying to interpret the perfect word of God. So be in your Bible seeking truth and don't lean on us or any other man. Lean solely on God's word and Holy Spirit. Okay, let's start with Jill. I am a great, I am grateful for your show and for all your work, gentlemen. While it sometimes is difficult to listen to how this world is growing more evil and how many in the church are being deceived into wrong theology, you always remind us of the great hope that awaits us, eternal life with God for those who trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Please strive to keep that balance because we need it these days. If we just immerse ourselves in all the negative news, we can become people void of hope and fail to be instruments of light that God wants us to be. Amen, Jill. And yeah. we're gonna, we're gonna strive to do that. Uh, we're going to always attempt to, to praise God in the storms of life. Uh, we want to be good stewards with what He's given us. Uh, we're trusting in God for the outcome. So we, we do as believers what we think God wants us to do. Uh, fully understanding that sometimes you can do the right thing, but it comes out with wrong effects. But we're going to trust God, and we're going to trust that the Lord uh, is going to return one day soon. So we're going to keep fighting the good fight, but we're also going to continually not only remind you of the growing evil in the world, but to trust in God for his eternal promise for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Anonymous, uh, please do not read my name on the air. I have worked in Christian ministry for nearly 20 years. I've worked at our church and also served in a Christian ministry in our community. I am sad to say I've become frustrated and disillusioned, not with God, but with how Christians live and act these days. Indeed, the harvest is great and the workers are few at both our church and in the ministry I volunteered with. We were just not able to get other professing Christians to serve it seems everyone wants to be served and offer their, quote, wisdom on how the church and ministries should operate. But when you ask them to be part of the solution, they will not lift a finger. 
Mike, I think of something you said in your recent book. Everyone wants, everyone wants the benefits of salvation, but few are willing to accept the responsibilities of it. And yes, there are responsibilities that come with the gospel and salvation. Well, thank you. And uh, I know this gentleman. I'm going to keep his name anonymous. Uh, he, he's been a tireless worker in the community and in his church. And, uh, I think many of us share his frustration, David. You know, if all of us just did a little within the church and the Christian mm-hmm. community, you wouldn't have good good men like this, Bible-believing men like this, who get frustrated and burned out. And I think of our pastors. I know a lot of pastors, and, and studies back this up. They are on the verge of burnout because they, they are lifting the entire burden for their church. Uh, they are being janitor, fundraiser, teacher, counselor, you name it. And people in the church come with the attitude of having the pastor and the church serve them instead of rolling up their sleeves and serving just a little. As as believers, David, our mindset, we're, we're told by Paul we're a new creation. We're told that we've received the mind of Christ. <clears throat> and our mindset and heart as believers need to be the exact opposite of what they were. Mm-hmm. And I think of what Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, be the least. If you want to be the first, be the last. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but rather to serve others. And we, we've really got to take that, that, that mindset and heart set seriously as Christians. And David, I know there's so many times in my life, I might be sitting at home at seven o'clock at night and I, I read an email or I get a phone call from a, from a friend who's really struggling with something and needs my help. My first reaction sometimes is, really right now? I mean, it's seven o'clock. I'd rather just sit home and mm. do nothing. So, I mean, I, I suffer and struggle with the same things. And, and I know sometimes I feel I should be doing more, not to earn God's love, but, you know, we as believers just need to understand that 80-20 rule of business where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I would say in Christianity it's 90-10. You've got a handful of people doing all the heavy lifting and a whole bunch of people falling into the trap of, well, they're here to serve me. Mm. I give money to my church, so my pastor better be there when I call, whatever it might be. So may the Lord just give us that new heart and new mindset to to really understand that we are called to be the opposite of the world. And my friend, uh, uh, I will continue to pray for you, and I would just tell you, don't give up, uh, you know, uh, the Lord is well worth the fight and the angst you're going through. Next, we hear from Robert. Just wanted to pass this example of how our little ones are being lured into reading books about Islam. This past week, Grandchild brings home a book called Peg Plus Cat Celebrates Aid Al-Ada from library and asks Grandma to help her read it since uh, she can't read all the uh, Arabic in it. Grandma starts to read the book uh, with the child but quickly realizes it's all about the Muslim re- religion, their customs, their dress, and their holidays. She immediately stops reading and gently tries to dissuade her grandchild from reading this book and diverts attention to something else. But the child is upset because um, she loves she loves Peg Plus Cat brand and the series of books and can't understand why Grandma doesn't want to read this book to her. Here's a perfect example of soft indoctrination at the kindergarten level using familiar characters and names like Mickey Mouse or, in this case, Peg plus cat. This is exactly what John Leffler and David Horwitz are talking about. You can't say a word about Jesus or the Bible in public schools, but you can read and talk all day about Muslims and Islam. Please warn your listeners to be very mindful of the books their children are bringing home from school, even in kindergarten. This book is available in the uh, Langlade School in Alloway, right under everybody's nose. Do you really, and that's by the way in the Green Bay area for those of you listening across the country, Uh, Do you really, do people really think their kids are lost when they go to college? No. It's long before that that they leave the Christian faith. So, Christian parents, your children are being stolen from you right out of their cribs in kindergarten. Wow. I mean, isn't that is, I've heard many stories like this. Yeah. And, and thank you, Robert, so much for writing. And, you know, it's like the battle has been accelerated, David. You're right. It used to just be, I think raising children used to be a lot easier than it is nowadays. And when you've got public education really hand-in-hand with this Islamic movement, according to what Robert's saying here, and, you know, think of kids, think of the things we used to like. Now, I couldn't tell you what Peg Plus Cat is. It's obviously some series of children's books. 
But, you know, these, these children like this stuff. And when they like it, their their minds are very open to indoctrination. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to be careful. We we've got to start battling for our children. It seems almost the day they come out of the womb, David. Yeah, Jacqueline is next. I'm looking for help on how to educate myself when the question is brought up on if we will all if we all came from Adam and Eve, and after the flood, how did all these different nationalities develop? How do you explain it? It's pretty simple, actually, Jacqueline. You know, we were all descendants of Adam and Eve, you can say, but then remember in Genesis chapter 6, God, it's, it says God regretted that he made man. So he sent a flood, and the only people he allowed to be saved were Noah and his family, because Noah was a righteous man in God's eyes. So Noah and his family took, I think, 120 years to build this ark. The floods came, the waters came up from the deep. All human beings, except for Noah and his family, were wiped out. But shortly after that, <clears throat> Noah's children migrated, and they went to Africa and to Asia and Europe and probably North America, and that was the beginning of nationalities. And in my opinion, that's the beginning of what we call races. Uh, when you look at the effects of the sun in certain people, depending on the heat and light and things like this, different skin characteristics took place. You know, what we know, when you look at an African-American man and a white man, Really, genetically, there is no difference. We're one human race here. One blood, one race. One blood, yeah. one race. Their skin happens to be darker. Asian people, their eyes tend to uh, uh, be a little more narrow. I, why that is, I don't know. But, you know, the issue of racism, and I wrote this in my book, Jacqueline, racism is just an excuse to hate people different than us. There really is no racism, according to the Bible, because all of us are sinners. All of us are ancestors of Adam and Eve and and eventually Noah. So really, that's how we get the different na- the, the different races, if you will. And nationalities just happen when, when certain people get together in a certain land and decide they want to have a certain set of laws and, and protection, and that's why we have the nations we have. So there's one race under God that races under the curse of sin, and the Lord Jesus Christ came to redeem the human race from sin and condemnation. Alex is next. He says, I enjoy discussing the theology about believers either being able to lose their salvation versus eternal security. I think God has purposefully made this a little vague to avoid us becoming lazy about our faith. It is human nature to relax once we hit the finish line. But the Bible says, continually work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Having quoted that, I do believe in the eternal security of the true believer, but also believe God wants us to wrestle with the theology behind it. What I enjoy about your show is that it is a platform for these discussions. Please continue to be a platform for Christians wrestling with the difficult questions. I don't think that's going to be a problem because there's a lot of different <laughs> questions. And you know Thanks, Alex, Alex. Yeah, and a little later, uh, probably not until next week, there's another very lengthy question about eternal security and David, you and I talk off all year. That's the question that just won't die. Mm. It, it's 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 a very emotional subject. Uh where I come down in my interpretation of the word of God is once you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, you are sealed. Now there's several arguments people make against that. They'll go to Hebrews chapter 6, which again we'll probably get to next week. But then there's also the very chilling words of Jesus that many who say to me, Lord, Lord, I will say away from me, you evildoers. It is my belief that these people were not truly born again believers. They were the seeds that shot up quickly, but then when the troubles of the world came, they withered away. They did not abide in Jesus Christ. So it is a difficult subject. It's a challenging subject. I like your thought process that maybe God doesn't want to give us a hundred percent clear cut answer mm-hmm. because then we'd start to get uh, we'd start to get a little arrogant, wouldn't we? I I ask for for most people that that wrestle with this, I ask why are you so concerned about it? Are you do you think you might fall away from God and rebel against Him later in your life? I mean, if you're living a Christian life, if you're truly converted and saved. Why not continue in the process of sanctification and pursue holiness, seek first his kingdom, do the best you can, and not worry about it in your own life? I think the question comes up when there's that, I want to say rare example, but I, I hope I'm wrong. No, I hope I'm not wrong. The rare example of someone who truly does fall away from Christ after years of being a believer, and they just rebel against him, maybe become an atheist, maybe whatever, and that's the person you go, well, if they were authentically saved, truly saved by the word of God, what happens now when they die? So I think that very rare case is when we just want to know, but I think just 
continue to live for Christ, do what you're doing. I think it's great advice, David. And, you know, a couple things. Number one, we, we know people who have been, you know, who are historically on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ who are all of a sudden into this weird stuff and even denying Jesus Christ. And you look and you say, look at the fruit of that person's life for all those years, mm-hmm. and now they believe this? So it, I, I think it does put a thought in your head, well, maybe you can throw away Lose your salvation. Your salvation. Yeah. Uh, look at someone like Dan Barker, head of the uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation, former pastor. Look at Brian McLaren, former pastor. You know, Rob Bell, youth pastor, and all these men have just went off the deep end. Uh, but to your point, too, I know that I have struggled in my life with my ongoing sin sometimes. And it's like, I mean, I, I feel like Paul was writing Romans 7 to me sometimes. It's like, you know, dummy, you know what you should do and you don't do it. Mm-hmm. And you know what you should not do and you continue to do it. But I think the key in understanding that in Romans 7 is when we start with chapter 8. Remember, therefore now there is no condemnation mm-hmm. for those in Christ Jesus. When we continue to sin, the enemy's favorite attacks are on the one side how can you call yourself a Christian and you keep doing that? Guilt, shame, yeah. yeah. Condemnation. The other side, however, is, Mike, don't worry about it. Jesus died for that sin, so you can do whatever you want to do. So these are these ditches we can fall into, and we're going to talk a little bit about those ditches when we come back. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. Uh, Thank you, Crash. We go from a question of eternal security to uh, ditches, David. Ben is next. Ben writes, and I enjoy your show very much. It's challenging and refreshing. You often speak about the ditches along the side of the narrow path to eternal life, unbiblical legalism, and Gnostic or emergent teaching that our sin no longer matters to God. In your opinion, which is worse? I wrote Flip myself that coin. Yeah, there you go. I, I wrote myself some notes on this, so if it sounds like I'm reading it, I am. <laughs> um, that's like asking if it's better to die slowly from cancer or from poison. You know, which is worse, dying slowly from cancer or dying slowly from poison? <clears throat> uh, both unbiblical legalism and emergent Gnostic theology, theology are dangerous and they lead to trouble. Uh, the unbiblical legalist suffers from self-righteousness and pride, and the Gnostic emergent, in essence, tends to worship himself and his idea of morality over God. So, Ben, I think both are a sickness that can eat away from a healthy church, and the church needs to guard against it, and the issue should be addressed. The emergent person needs to stop elevating his thoughts over the eternal truth of God's word. And some of the ways that is manifested in the emergent church is, well, you can be living in a homosexual relationship and be right with God, you can abort children to be right with God. Um, Jesus doesn't have to be the only path. Those are all very, very dangerous theologies. But the legalist runs the risk of thinking he's self-righteous and that his performance is going to save him instead of the grace of God. And one thing I've talked a lot about, David, in, in my books is that uh, when we are saved by God's grace, the Holy Spirit and the Word begins sanctifying us, perfecting us. Hopefully... Over the last 20 years, as I've been a believer, I am more sanctified than I was 20 years ago. But the moment I look at my level of sanctification and make that the new bar for somebody else's salvation, I'm a legalist. For example, I have been convicted I cannot watch R-rated movies with sexuality. It just gets my brain off kilter and going the wrong way. But I have no right to impose that on another. I can certainly warn him or her of the dangers of it, but I have no right to make that the new bar of salvation. Now, I think a sincere Christian, Ben, can suffer with either legalism or emergent beliefs for a while when they're young in the faith, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit should eventually cleanse us of our self-righteousness or our arrogance. And I encourage you, Ben, also to remember this. Someone can be in the ditch and still be saved. So you can be in one of these ditches temporarily, be either being a legalist or a Gnostic emergent, and that doesn't mean you've foregone your salvation. But the, prog- the problem is when you're in the ditch, if you're in an automobile and you go in the ditch, you're not making progress anymore. You're stuck in the ditch. You're not moving towards the holiness that, that God's Spirit wants of us. And we can get other people hung up in that ditch. As other believers try to pull us out of that ditch, You know they can maybe get sucked into the ditch with us. So... 
you know, we, we have to be very, very careful to understand all of us will vacillate either toward legalism or toward emergent uh, theology. And we need to be in God's word. We need to understand first and foremost, God's word is true. I have no right to judge another's salvation. Nobody's. But on the other hand, uh, we cannot have a free form of theology that says uh, what I think is right is better than what God says is right. So um, which is worse? <sighs> Boy, I tell you, I don't know. David, I'd love any thoughts you have. I don't know if one is worse than the other. They're both poison to the soul, certainly. Yep, and I'd rather just jump back into the questions. Oh, I, yeah. I, I have a... Taskmaster. Yeah, yeah, I can't say. Mark right. says, I'm a Christian conservative, and here's what's frustrating to me. David said on air that Wisconsin Governor Evers was one of only a few governors who vetoed legislation that would allow medical professionals to keep a baby alive that survived an abortion. But why didn't the Republicans pass this legislation when they had a pro-life governor, Scott Walker, in office? It's things like this that make me feel Republicans don't really care about the issue of life, but only pander for political purposes. You want to tackle that one? Sure I will. I agree, Mark. I'm frustrated as heck, but I'm not going to stop voting because that's a, a privilege, a responsibility, and I believe it's the only way we are going to make some headway with morality in government. Um, but, yeah, Evers is one of three Democratic candidates that that – supports infanticide if a baby survives an abortion which many of them do you'd be surprised look up survivors who are speaking out at pro-life events and uh, the left is want to acknowledge them because they're human you got it they have rights and yes they survived an abortion but the left what, what the radicals want to do is allow them to die let them hey it was the mother's will to have an abortion they should be killed is that humane the left talks about compassion all the time but yet, when Evers does this, so I understand how Republicans can get frustrated because they campaign on a certain thing, such as defunding Planned Parenthood. Did they even do that? They I'm, increased the spending oh, of Planned Parenthood. On a state level. You should at least tackle it on a state level. And, and again, um, do not stop voting. The problems we're having today with seeing more of, of this is because Christians don't vote, generally. A lot of Christians stay at home. If they were to vote, Bible-believing Christians, if they were to vote, that would affect who is in office and who is actually, you know, changing these legislation. But I do feel Mark's pain, if you will. Yes, I do. Uh, again, when we, when we, when the Republicans had control of the Senate and uh, the Assembly and had a pro-life governor, abortion didn't really seem to be. We didn't really tackle the issue. So you do have to wonder if. They don't use it as a way to fire up the base, if you will, and get Christians active. And how many times have we been disappointed by George W. Bush, by others yeah. uh, who claim to be pro-life, but then when push comes to shove, I, I, I think I think what's going on, David, is Republicans and all politicians are driven by polls. And right now you see with the laws passed in New York and other places, pro-life Christians are mad. And they're saying, we got to do something about this. So the Republicans look at the polls and they go, ah, good campaign thing here. Yep. Let's run on that. Then they get in office. And once they get in office, it all becomes about being reelected. Now, I think part of it is they, they see that it's, it's an uphill battle once they get elected and see the realities of the red tape and all that. But that doesn't mean you stop trying to, um, get legislation through that is what you campaigned on it doesn't mean you stop fighting but and I'm and I, I don't think also that we should uh, generalize and say all no republicans no. there were some like Andre Jock and others yeah. there were some that really tried to move on some of these areas when it comes to pro life legislation Ab absolutely there were but as a whole mark i think we understand your frustration and it is yeah. it can be very very frustrating but you know, we got to play the cards that are dealt us. Yep. Next is Nathan. He says President Trump's deal of the century to try to bring peace to the Middle East shows an alarming lack of understanding on the depth of radical ideology within Islam. To think they would give up their hatred for Israel over financial gain is naive at best. And you are dealing with Islamic leadership who continually lie and never uphold anything they agree with anyway. 
Thank you, Nathan. Yeah. And you know, I, uh, my first reaction is I think you're exactly right. But you know, John Leffler did bring up an interesting perspective on this thing last week where he said Trump is really trying to give the Palestinians everything they claim they want. Hey, we want economic prosperity. We want this. We want that. And that he believes Trump fashioned a deal in a way that if the Palestinian leadership, Abbas and others reject it, that there might be an upheaval of the people there. Uh, again, I think that's kind of naive. I, I would tend to agree with you, Nathan, that really we're, uh, they're not going to be happy until Israel is wiped off the face of the earth. The hatred for the Jewish people and the Israeli people uh, by radical Muslims is so intense and it's drummed into their heads from day one. We've covered stories from the Clarion Project. And Elijah Abrahams told me this. Children as young as two or three are being told the greatest way to please Allah is to strap a bomb to yourself and kill up a bunch, kill a bunch of infidels. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is driven into their head from day one. And I don't know if any economic package is going to undo that damage that's being done to these children at a young age. Next, anonymous, so this must be someone maybe local. Our church is starting to grow. The teaching, while still pretty solid, is starting to spin more toward grace, grace, and less to a call for holy living. Recently, the church leadership announced we had a new praise and worship team. While the music is a little too modern for my taste, that's okay, but now we found out the lead singer on the worship team is not even a believer. When we confronted church leadership with that fact, The person, by the way, admitted it. We were told having him on the worship team might be a way to minister to him. This seems wrong on several fronts to my husband and I, but are we just being a little too judgmental about this? I don't think so. Um, And I want to go to gotquestions.org here. I did check with them for a resource on this, and the question is, should an unbeliever be allowed to participate in a church worship team? Here's their answer. In many of today's churches, the desire for an appealing, professional-sounding praise and worship service has led to considerations of allowing or even hiring unbelievers to play instruments or sing in the worship team. While it is understandable that churches want skilled musicians, the placement of unsaved people in a position of helping lead worship raises several issues that need to be addressed. First issue is an unbeliever singing in a church worship team is inherently hypocritical. Unbelievers cannot truly worship the Lord. Apart from Christ, they have no relationship with God. The second concern, uh, according to GodQuestions.org, we find no examples in the Bible of non-Christians leading Christians in public worship. Those who stand in front of others in a church service are, by their very presence, inviting emulation. The purpose of a worship service is to promote worship, and any emulation should be of the worship we see displayed. Unless the worship leaders on stage are believers engaged in the worship of Christ, then there is nothing really worth emulating. And lastly, the public ministry of a church is representative of that church. Whenever someone is serving in a ministry within a church, he or she is, in effect, representing the values of the congregation. If an individual is representing values and beliefs contrary to the Bible and the church's teaching, then hypocrisy again becomes an issue. For an unbeliever to help lead a church's worship service is to send mixed signals and may foster confusion as people question what the church truly values. And then finally they said local congregations must take seriously the idea of protecting the honor, dignity, and reputation of both the church and Jesus since the church represents Jesus himself. So I think that's a very good answer from GodQuestions.org. And uh, when we try to appeal to the world by using the world's methods, all we're going to do is grow a worldly church, David. Amen. Pete is next. He says, love your discussions with John Leffler. The mindset and mentality of today's radical liberals make it clear, uh, make it near impossible to carry on civilized, intelligent conversation or discussion with them. Their worldview has become so negative and tainted, they can no longer think logically or rationally. This has bled over to liberalism in the church, where if you talk about the reality of hell, they cannot fathom that a, quote, loving God would ever allow that to happen. They live in the worst of two worlds, a combination of individual morality and self-righteousness and hubris, thinking they are the smartest people in the room. There is no humility whatsoever. 
Thank you, Pete. You know, as I as I read your email, first of all, I want to agree with you for the most part. But when when you said um, uh, their worldview has become so negative and tainted, they can no longer think logically or rationally. I wonder if they think the same thing about us, David. I, I mean, I wonder somebody who is so immersed into this liberal worldview, if they look at people like you and I and say, "What's the matter with you, idiots? Can't you see that that we liberals are the truth, and you guys are being deceived?" Um, you know, so I, but, but you're right. It, it's difficult to even have a conversation. I mean, look what, uh, Antifa did to that homosexual conservative out west. You know, uh, spray painted him with mace, beat him up. And it's almost like there is no talking to these people. They would rather shout you down or get mm-hmm. violent yep. than really engage you in the, uh, in the arena of ideas. It's very sad. The hypocrisy of their so-called tolerance just continues to amaze me. It shouldn't, though. Um, Nick writes in and says, All those Christians complaining about President Trump and his Twitter rants and past life, take a look at the alternatives. When you listen to the candidates, Democrats are putting forward, falling all over themselves to be the one who is the most passionate about killing children in the room, in the womb. The president is no Boy Scout, and we do know that if he is, a, we do not know if he's a true Christian or not. But his policies easily align more with biblical principles than any of these Democrat uh, Marxist and baby killers. Your show this week was a good warning to Christians to not be badgered or intimidated when standing for life, marriage, and gender as God defines them. We have a flawed president, but at least he stands on the same side as God on these biblical issues. Thank you. And, you know, we can argue, is Trump doing it to be politically uh, expeditious or not? We Speculation. Don't yeah. We don't know, but uh, it, it is sad. But, you know, Nick, uh, getting beyond President Trump for a minute, I think the, the real meat of your email was we are being badgered and intimidated. And if we stand up for what God says, we're being intimidated. We're being told we're haters, we're bigots, mm-hmm. we're homophobes. Uh, but that does not mean we should shy away from sharing the truth of God's word. We must share the truth in love. We must speak the word and truth graciously. But we are we are being silenced. We are being silenced. We were once called the silent majority. Now we're becoming the silent minority. When we come back, more of your questions and comments. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. It's our final segment of the week. Your comments and questions. How can you connect with us? Text the word Speak Up to 90100 or email comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Eileen writes in, says, Our church has become immersed in unbiblical liberal theology ever since they hired a young Pastor, fresh out of seminary, my husband and I sat down with him to share our concerns about faulty doctrine being taught and discovered he knew next to nothing about the Bible. He even admitted his seminary discounted the Bible as the Word of God, rather stating it was the opinions of the people who wrote it and is only there to spark discussion and debate. And you wonder why our churches are in trouble and caving into this world. Grateful for your daily shows. It keeps us grounded in the Word and seeing the news of this world through the lens of the Bible. Well, thank you, Eileen. You know, it always bothered me, David, uh, when I would hear, you know, what young people want is conversations. And, I, I mean, yeah, that's fine, but... There, there needs to be a basis of truth for, for a meaningful conversation to begin. And Eileen, I, I think you're onto something here because it's almost like the attitude of some younger people now is, well, we can never really know the truth. And when you point into God's word, well, that was Paul's opinion. Or the other one I hear was, well, that was just for the church at that time. There's no, there's, there's nothing here that applies. Uh, one of the questions we probably won't get to till next week, uh, that somebody wrote in and said, tell me about the seven churches in Revelation, the letters to them, we're doing a Bible study, and our pastor said, well, you know, do the Bible study, but don't try to read anything into those letters as it applies to the modern church. Oh, so, really? There, yeah, there, there's, it, it's almost like we've taken the truth of God's word and set it aside and said, let's have a conversation about it, and let's maybe agree that none of us can really know truth, but we can. We can know truth by knowing God's word. So uh, this is happening a lot. And uh, as guests like Randy White and Mike Abendroth have shared with us from their experience, a lot of seminaries these days are all about showing young people how to be leaders instead of anchoring them in God's word. And if you have a leader who isn't anchored to God's word, 
where's that leader going to lead you? To a lost place. So uh, it's a real problem, Eileen. I, I applaud you and your husband for sitting down and talking to the uh, young man. But if he's unwilling to budge, it's probably time to move on. All right, next we go to Karen. Does forgiving someone mean you just forget it ever happened? A former close friend lied and gossiped about me to others, and it almost cost me our marriage. She asked for my forgiveness, and I told her she was forgiven, but I'm having a very hard time opening up to her and trusting her again. She knows that and has said we are to forgive and to forget, but I just cannot forget the hurt she caused me and our marriage. Does this mean I have not truly forgiven her? Not necessarily, Karen. You know, nowhere in the Bible is the phrase forgive and forget. It's nowhere Only in the Bible. God forgets our yeah. past sins. He and, and, you know, there's even question about that. Does he, can God really forget anything? <laughs> but he sets aside our sins. They are yeah. to him as far away as the east is from the west. He remembers our sin no more. And it's worth, worth a good word study to look at that word remembers. Because my understanding of it is he holds it against us no more. So God, I mean, how can God who knows everything forget anything? But when he says he remembers our sins no more, he does not hold us to account of them. Forgiveness is a mandate of being a Christian. Uh, it's a decision of the will. We choose to either forgive or not forgive. Since God commands us to forgive, we must make a conscious choice to obey God and forgive, even if the offender doesn't desire forgiveness. But it is impossible to truly forget sins that have been committed against us because we're human and we're going to remember those things. But the thing is, do you hold it against the person the next time? Now, in your case, Karen, I don't think you're wrong at all in being very slow to trust a person Mm -hmm. who gossips so maliciously against you that it almost cost you your marriage. Mm -hmm. That is a serious, serious thing. And the example I always use is if I gave my neighbor the keys to my house and said, watch our dog, and I came back and the place was ransacked and everything was gone, and I found out he did it. I have to work on forgiving him, but I can guarantee you the next time I need my house watch, he ain't getting the keys. So, you know, we're not to be foolish about these things. Forgiving is a mandate because we've been forgiven. But people need to earn trust back. You know, when people go to jail for serious crimes, they spend 20 years in jail or whatever it is, you know, they pay their time. Uh, society forgives them, but you know that doesn't mean you automatically assume the crime never happened because mm-hmm. you have to wonder if it's going to happen again. So, mm-hmm. Karen, I don't think you're unbiblical at all. Keep praying about it. Um, be friends with the person, but uh, uh, you know you, you got to keep some boundaries here too. James writes in: Is the is the church as it has become come to be known in America worth trying to salvage? Don't get me wrong; I am all for Christian fellowship and submission to one another. But it seems to me the church has gotten so sidetracked that it has almost become an anti-church. Instead of convicting sinners, sinners, it pampers and accepts them. Instead of preaching the full gospel, it diminishes the gospel. And instead of equipping members for the works of the Holy Spirit and ministry, it quenches the work of the Spirit and wants to do in and I'm that's sorry. The spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It quenches the work of work that the spirit wants to do in and through believers. It is time for a revolution by serious Christians where we stand up and say no more of this. The only way church leaders will be awakened is if it hits their pocketbooks. As long as we feed this slothful church, it will continue to think God is blessing it since money is their measure of success these days. Oh boy, that's a loaded email, that's isn't a it? Lot, James. Um, <laughs> thanks. Thanks yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and David will give you the response right now. <laughs> I don't think it's time to give up on the church. I, I think we need to fight for her. Um, but having said that, James, I understand your frustration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you said something very interesting. Um, as long as we feed the church, it will continue to think God is blessing it since money is their measure of success these days. Um, but now you don't have to give to the church to support and work within the church. Um, I don't think it's worth giving up on the church. She has some very, very serious problems right now. I think we should continue to work from within uh, by the power of God's word and spirit to get the church back to where it was. But we also know that the day is coming, according to Paul, in the great apostasy, when many that call themselves believers are going to turn away and actually be enemies of true believers. So I think we need to 
begin to have the Holy Spirit prepare us for that day, but I wouldn't give up on the church yet. All of us uh, have the redemptive power of the cross available to us when we confess before the Lord. So maybe pray that our church leaders would be humble and would see the errors of their ways. And uh, But I wouldn't, uh, I know you hate this saying, David, but I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You just really don't like that, do you? Uh, don't give up on the the individual uh, body of Christ. The, the the church is made up of individual members. Uh, there can be a home church. There can be a home fellowship. There can be small churches who are the remnant who are really doing and striving to do God's will and God's work. And, and we look at the mega churches, and there are some great ones out there, but a lot of them have given over to the church growth and watered down the gospel, diluted sound doctrine, and have tolerated things that should have never been tolerated within the church. So I agree with his um, general, you know, statements on the church but yeah let's not give up on the bride of christ because without the church where's the light going to come from in this world you know it i kind of draw a parallel david to what we talked about earlier about republicans and democrats because there's a lot of conservatives that are saying i've had it with the republican party let's start a third party you know and on the one hand you understand it but on the other hand you also understand that's probably the death knell because then liberals are going to get, so I, I think we should be slow to give up on any one. God never gives up on us until we uh, get that reprobate mind from completely denying him. So let's not give up on one another. Mm-hmm. Amen. Next, Greg writes in, my wife and I are approaching retirement age in the next five years and debating the amount of our retirement account. What's in it? What's a retirement account? Um, <laughs> I read about those somewhere. I'm a bit ashamed to say she wants to be more generous with what we have than I do. But as the provider and knowing I'll probably die before her because I'm five years older, I w- worry about providing for her once I'm, once I'm gone to the Lord. Her argument, which is difficult to counter, is we need to trust God for that. We both love your show, value your insight into God's word. What recommendations can you give us? <laughs> I'll let you handle that because oh, I... Oh, man. Yeah. You know, it, it's not dissimilar to something my wife and I talk about all the time because I'm seven years older than her, I think. Um, and I'm a man, so I'll probably, statistically, I'll probably die 11 years before she does. And I, and we have a small retirement account. And I look at it sometimes and go, I, I, I need to make sure when I die, she's taken care of. And her argument back is we need to trust God. So, I, you know, Greg, I don't know what to tell you other than be of one mind on it. Maybe look for compromise in this situation. I applaud you that you want to make sure your wife is taken care of. Once you die, I also agree with your wife's answer that, you know, um, God will provide for her. And, you know, the church should provide for widows also. But I think it's responsible to have a retirement account. But I think it's irresponsible to let that retirement account start to drive every decision we make, particularly when it comes to generosity. And we need to trust in the Lord's word that when we are generous, you know, he gives back to us many, many times over. And again, we're not talking about dollars here. We're talking about blessings. We're talking about all sorts of other things. So continue to wrestle with it, Greg, with your lovely bride. Pray about it. Uh, maybe try some role reversal. Honey, if, if the shoe is on the other foot, how would you feel about it? And, and the Lord will lead you to the right answer. It's good to have a retirement account, but it's bad to depend on that retirement account because, as Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. All right, Anonymous, my husband is a good man of God and wonderful husband, but he's never been able to kick the cigarette habit completely. He has tried patches and medications, but always goes back to cigarettes, um, something he doesn't like any more than I do. He came home last week and said he, he is considering going through hypnosis. I don't have an easy feeling uh, about this. Any thoughts? Um, my first thought's kind of a disjointed one. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. I used to have an occasional cigar or pipe, but you don't inhale. I've... Uh, were you a former smoker? Never. Okay, uh, crashes near. No drugs, no heard, cigarettes. I have heard it's a really tough habit to kick. I've heard too. There's something got to be very it addictive is. about nicotine. Um, anonymous, I think your husband's playing with fire by going to hypnosis. Um, I think you have to be careful. We're told to be of sound mind. Uh, we are not to really open our minds up. And my understanding of hypnosis is really it's 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 getting down to the brain waves in the brain where you're very suggestive. You know, David, we got just a minute, but uh, before I was a believer, we were invited by some people to a party where there was a hypnotist there. And I, I thought, this stuff's baloney. And he couldn't hypnotize me, and I praise God for that. But I did witness him hypnotize another person. It was, it was scary. Mm. 
he, I think he told this person, uh, every time you want a cigarette, or every time somebody mentions the word cigarette, you're going to scratch your head. And it's funny, the, the guy came out of it and somebody would mention cigarette and the guy would scratch his head and he didn't even know it. I mean, it was, <laughs> I, I, I just think your husband, I think it's better for your husband to continue to smoke cigarettes and not pursue hypnosis than it is to get off cigarettes using hypnosis because we just don't know enough about um, spiritual warfare and the human mind, the way it works. Uh, you just don't know what you could be open to sub- suggestions. Uh, Crash, do you have a thought? I've never seen it work. I Everybody, saw it a, a, Everyone that I've known that have tried to quit smoking oh. through hip- hypnosis, it never worked. It never worked, huh? Every single case, yeah. you know, because it, it is a tough one to uh, to beat. Uh, my mom tried hypnosis. She yeah. she died a smoker. Mm. I, I just think we're we're inviting danger. We're inviting potential demons and and all sorts of bad stuff in when we give up our our, our frame of mind and just kind of throw it to the wind. So uh, better to have your husband be a smoker. Instead of getting involved, I think, in, uh, in hypnosis. So thank you all for your comments and questions. Sorry we can get to all of them. We'll get to the rest of them next week. When we come back, we'll wrap up today's show and talk about our guests next week. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up With The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpWithTheTruth.com slash donate. Now, here's Mike LeMay. Well, we have some interesting guests and topics next week. Uh, next Monday, Dave and I will be talking with Laura Perry. She's a former transgender, and she's going to talk about how the Lord delivered her from that lifestyle. Jay Seeger joins Crash and I on Tuesday. And Wednesday, a gentleman I've been getting to know uh, through emails, Dan Jensen. He has a book called A False Kind of Christianity, A Conservative Evangelical Refutation. Refute, refutation. Refuting. Of progressive Christianity. How's that? I think you got it right. Refutation. Refutation? That's the way Spock pronounced it. We know Spock (laughs) would never be wrong, so I am not Spock, by the way. Dan Jensen on Wednesday. I'm looking forward to it. I've read his book. I really enjoy it. It, It's heavy reading, but it's important reading as we really reach out to progressive Christians and help them understand the fallacy of their thought process and get them back into trusting God's word and not their own human understanding. So thank you so much for joining us this week. We hope you have a very blessed weekend. And thank all of you, our supporters, people who pray for us, people who challenge us. We value all of you. For David Fiorazzo and Crash Connell, I am Mike LeMay, standing up for the truth. Be bold, strong, and always unashamed of the gospel, because the Lord your God is always with you.